Got your Bibles here today, folks? Okay, why don't you go ahead and turn there or click there. Uh, Today is uh, a day that we will partake of communion, and I'm going to invite you to turn to Luke chapter 22. At the end of our service, we're going to... At the end of our service, we're going to spend some time uh, partaking of the elements, and I want to give you a chance to kind of look back at that first time that Jesus instituted this dinner, uh, this, this tradition that we call communion. Now, I know that in this room, there are people from many, many different backgrounds and a lot of different uh, faiths and interpretations, and then We've all found ourselves in this church here today. So a lot of times there could be a lot of uh, uh, different ideas as to what uh, the Lord's table and what communion is all about. And what I'd like to remind us here today is that basically uh, communion is a time that we look back and we remember what Jesus did for us on the cross. And specifically, uh, the bread symbolizes the broken body of Jesus Christ, and the cup symbolizes the shed blood of Jesus. And as many times as we take that, we, uh, we remember Jesus' death, and we proclaim that until he comes back. And uh, today... What I'd like for us to do is to take a look at one of the scriptures that give us that first time that Jesus had this moment with his disciples. And there are some things that take place in this scripture that I want to show us today that uh, I think that God could also speak to every one of us here this morning. And so if you're able to, I'm going to invite you to stand with me in honor of God's word, and we're going to look at the scriptures together. Luke 22, starting in verse 14, and we're going to go to verse 34. I'm in the New International Version here today, so follow along with me either on the screen or in in your copy of God's word as well. Here we go. It says this, When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks, and he said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread. He gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to them saying, this is my body that is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who's going to betray me is with mine on the table. The son of man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to the man who betrays him. They began to question amongst themselves which of them might uh, which of them might be and who would do this. And a dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered the greatest. Jesus said to them, "The kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who 
exercise authority over them, call themselves benefactors, but you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who's greater, the one who's at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who's at the table, but I am among you as one who serves? You are those who have stood by me in the trials, and I confer on you a kingdom just as my father conferred on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you turn back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. And Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you'll deny me three times that you know me. <laughs> let's, let's talk about the talk at the table during this last supper. Jesus, uh, speak to us now, I pray. And I pray that you would take what we offer to you, our hearts, our minds, our spirits, God, fill them with your word. And God, that you would speak to us today in a way that is so powerful, that it's life-changing. And uh, have your way, I pray. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. 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 You may be seated. Now, again, if, if, if you've been around the church for a while, and many of you have, You've probably heard this story in one way, shape, or form. Maybe you've even seen it acted out. You've seen it in movies. You've seen it uh, uh, in the scriptures. Uh, if you grew up in church like me, you've seen it told over and over and over again all throughout my life when I was uh, in church. Today, though, I want to take a different spin to it, if we could. Because what I, what I found here is I was studying this scripture is the fact that while Jesus was talking to the disciples, a number of things really rose to the surface. A number of things kind of came out as they were talking. Now, this should not surprise us, right? Because anytime you sit around a table with a bunch of people, there's inevitably, hopefully, there's going to be some discussion going on. How many of you understand what I'm talking about? In fact, how nerve-wracking is it if you sit at a table full of people and nobody is talking? Oh, man. I, one time, just to give you a funny story, one time I was asked to do uh, the chapel service for a college football team that was scheduled to play later that day. And they asked me to do the chapel service and pray with them and then join them for their team feed, <laughs> okay? I thought, okay. And, uh, and so I did, so I did. And, and, and the coach had me sit next to him. It was really cool. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I did the whole chapel. We're eating. And I'm sitting there with the coach and the captains of the team. I mean, these are the big wigs of the team. And I'm saying, so how y'all doing? Nothing. These guys, even when I did the chapel service, these guys are like on their chairs. They're just so focused on the game. And, and the entire room, there, there were like at least a dozen tables full of football players. Nobody talked. Do you know how much that freaked me out? 
I thought, I, I, I got nothing here, so I guess I'll, <laughs> I'll just eat. And so I did, and, uh, and, and then I ate more. But it, it was just the weirdest thing. And I'm asking the coach, hey, you know, what do you think of your season? And he's like, I thought, okay, I feel awkward here. And uh, it, was, it was rough. Thankfully, that did not take place here around the Lord's table. Jesus had some discussions with the disciples here. And when I talk with people, when I talk with some of you, inevitably we'll talk about things like the church, we'll talk about golf, we'll talk about sports, we'll talk about maybe politics, that's always fun, and, and, and different things like that. But for Jesus, when Jesus brought some things out and they rose to the surface, he actually put an interesting perspective actually a brand new perspective on three different subjects that I'd like to share with you here today. Three things came out during the table talk when they were together for that last meal together. And I'd like to share those subjects with you here today. Before we take communion, I'd like for us to look at those subjects and let's see what the Lord might have to say to us. Here's the first subject. You ready? Salvation. This was the first subject that came up. It was salvation. Now, let's look again at verses 14 through 20, where Jesus is kind of bringing a new perspective here. Again, it says, When the hour came, Jesus and his disciples and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover meal with you before I suffer. Can I pause here, by the way? I just I need to let somebody know this. Any time that you could be with Jesus, any time that you can be with Jesus, may I tell you that the Lord eagerly desires to hear from you and to be with you. He loves you, friend. That was totally free. Let, let, let's come back. Verse 15, and he said to them, uh, I'm sorry, let's go to the next verse. I don't know, Tammy, just whatever you do, I'll, I'll follow you. I, that's not Tammy's fault, that is me. I am a mess today, I'm breaking my microphone. Anyway, thank God Nicole's here. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And after talk, uh, taking the cup, he gave thanks and he said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, and he gave thanks, and he broke it. And he gave it to them, saying, this is my body, given for you. Now, hear this. The disciples think that they're just celebrating the Passover meal. Jesus is now putting a new spin on this. So as they're eating the bread during the Passover meal, he, he says this. This bread is my body, and it's given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. What? And then in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Wow. These Jewish followers of Jesus thought 
that they were merely going to be celebrating the Passover meal like they grew up doing, like they had undoubtedly uh, had with Jesus for a number of years before this particular Passover supper. But at this moment, Jesus puts a different spin on the whole Passover. And he says, okay, instead of just eating bread, instead of us looking at the Passover lamb uh, from Moses' time, now, now, this bread represents my body. What are you talking about, Jesus? Oh, and it's broken for you. What? And this blood, this is the new covenant. What new covenant? Can you understand how foreign? See, we've heard this Every time we take communion, we've heard this. But think of this. The disciples had never heard this before. And now they're hearing things like new covenant. And now they're hearing things like Jesus' broken body and his shed blood. What is going on? Salvation. Jesus pointing out to the disciples that there's a way to salvation now that you no longer have to go through a priest. You no longer have to go uh, to an intermediary to find forgiveness. You no longer have to do this or that. I am now going to be the perfect sacrifice. You don't have to bring a lamb with you for sacrifice. I'm that sacrifice. Jesus says, you don't have to go to a high priest in order to be forgiven. I am the high priest. What was Jesus saying? That the body and the blood of Jesus became the perfect sacrifice for our sin. There's no other way. There's no other way than through the sacrifice that Jesus gave for each and every one of us. Today as you're listening, whether it be online or in here, Perhaps you're really questioning your faith or you're kind of seeking things. I've talked to some people recently who have been really seeking what Jesus is really all about. And I can tell you that the mission of Jesus was simply this. To seek and to save the lost. And there was no other way to do it. None of us could be an adequate sacrifice for sin. Nothing we could do can be an adequate measure to bring us salvation. None of us could do it. But the body and the blood of Jesus paid for it all. Friend, today, if, if, if you're not serving Jesus today, may I tell you that Jesus went to the cross for you. He took the pain of the cross. He took the suffering that came with it so that you wouldn't have to. Or today, the scripture tells us in the book of Romans that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart that he rose from the dead, we will be saved. Today, I urge you, give your life completely to Jesus Christ because it's only his body and his blood that fulfills the sacrifice. Now I'm standing here in front of a lot of people that attend church quite a bit and a lot of you this is this is 
uh, amen worthy, but it's not really uh, it's not really new to you. But you see, Jesus didn't stop there with the table talk. Not only did Jesus put a new perspective on salvation, but Jesus put a new perspective on success. And this is going to be fun. Because I think our culture's idea of what it means to be successful is so contrary to what the Bible has to say. We seem to think that success is found in having these giftings and having this talent and success is found in having this huge platform on social media and X amount of followers and success is found by being recognized and, and, and being held in high esteem and then Jesus finds himself listening to a conversation. I want you to get this for a second, okay? Jesus just announces that someone's going to betray him, and they're all looking at each other like, who? Who's going to do that? And then, then after that, verse 24, look at this. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. What? Are you serious? Jesus is talking about his broken body and the shed blood and, and being betrayed, and that somehow leads to, I'm the greatest. Let's keep going. Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors, but you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who's greater? The one who's at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who's at the table? But I, here we go again. Jesus puts this new perspective now. I am among you as one who serves. Hmm. May I tell you how amazing it was to me that in the midst of everything that was going on, these followers of Jesus thought that they had to discuss who was the greatest. Can you imagine that discussion? Peter says, well, I walked on water. Didn't see you do that. John would say, hey, I'm the one that's closest to Jesus. Thomas would say, I doubt that. <laughs> Matthew, who had this dramatic conversion story, maybe he thought he was the greatest. Philip said, I've got this incredible first name. That's my name, just in case you're watching. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> so for whatever reason, these disciples got into an argument as to who the greatest one was. Do you know what can absolutely cripple and destroy your walk with God? It's pride. Amen. 
And we have to be careful because pride can enter into our lives even at times that you would not expect it. Would you have expected an argument as to who the greatest disciple is to take place right after Jesus is talking about his broken body and the shed blood and, and what's going to be happening? It, it can come at any time. It can enter in at the strangest times that we think that we are something that we are not. You know, there's nothing wrong with recognizing that you have certain talents and gifts. Nothing wrong with that whatsoever. But, on the flip side, especially in the body of Christ, I think we, re we need to remember the role that humility place is uh, in our walks with God. Look, look at the scriptures. 2 Chronicles 7.14 if my people who are called by my name will do what? Humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I'll hear from heaven, I'll forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. And a lot of us, we're all about that prayer part. We're all about that seek God's face part. Yes, I'm going to turn from my wicked ways. But then when it comes to humility, ugh. Here's another one, the book of James, chapter 4, verse 10. It tells us that we should humble ourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Let me just say to anybody here that's willing to listen to this tiny little piece of advice, I live by this, I believe this with all of my heart, promotion comes from the Lord. If you humble yourself, God will lift you up at the right time. Uh, here's another one from, um, where are we at? We're in 1 Peter 5, 5. All of you should clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. What's humility? It's not seeing who you are compared to other people. That's dangerous. True humility is seeing who you are compared to Jesus. That's true humility. Humility does not demand recognition. Dare I say that maybe humility can be a little uncomfortable with it. Kind of like when we all sang happy birthday to Nicole. That's the worst, by the way, isn't it? When people sing happy birthday to you, you're like, mm, these are 30 seconds of my life. I'll never get it back. So what, what's Jesus saying here? Greatness is found in the servant, Amen. not in the celebrity. Greatness is found in the servant, not the celebrity. We don't need any more celebrities. And by the way, if God gives you, if God gives you a large platform, however you want to define that, okay, may I tell you, 
that you need to approach that as humbly and as dependent on Jesus as you possibly can. Because to whom much is given, much is required. And I have seen people who have been elevated quickly to a position of authority, but the attitude and the heart didn't go with the position. And the crash for that type of thing is so brutal. God honors the servant. We need more servants. A servant will do something, they don't care about the recognition. A servant will do something for an audience of one, and that's him. That's a servant. So Jesus just turned the definitions of some subjects right on their heads. One was salvation, second was success, and then third, I'll call it support. Jesus, Jesus ends this passage, this table talk, with some really interesting comments. Starting verse 31, he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. Let's park there for a second. Now, this might mess with some people's theology in here. And where you want to land with that, okay. But here's, here's what I read. That Satan needed Jesus' permission before he did anything against Simon Peter and the disciples. Now, some of us don't like that, okay? But this is a statement here. Now, I, I can go down a big theological rabbit hole with you that might kind of throw you a little, and I'm not going to do that, just, just to say this. No spiritual attack will ever catch Jesus off guard. Okay? So, if you're going through it right now, Jesus is not shocked. Jesus does not gasp. Jesus does not yell, no way. Jesus is not shocked. Jesus is never surprised. He never goes, oh, I cannot believe this. He knows. Jesus is not stressed. Listen to me. Jesus is not stressed by what stresses you. You might be freaked out. And uh, look, I've had moments I've been freaked out about what I've been going through. Then I look to Jesus, and I'm so thankful he doesn't act like me. Jesus is calm. Jesus knows what's going on. Jesus knows. And I want you to be assured today that whatever it is you're facing, Jesus is not caught off guard. Jesus knows about it, and he has a plan. Oh, I should say that again. Jesus knows about it, and he has a plan. So he starts, uh, he looks at Peter. He says, Simon, Simon, he repeated it twice. Satan's asked to sift all of you as wheat. Then look at verse 32. He says this, but I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. <laughs> You know what Jesus didn't do? Jesus didn't say, good luck. 
Jesus didn't say, oh, Simon, Satan has asked that he just, he, he wants to do a number on all of you. I hope you make it. I kind of like you. He said, I'm praying for you. Now, wait a minute. You might say, well, yeah, but pastor, that was during Bible times. I, I, I don't know that Jesus does that now. Oh, can I show you Romans chapter 8, verse 34? It says, Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that who was raised to life, he is at the right hand of God and, look what I, <laughs> and he is interceding for us. So that's still his posture. So, so if you think Jesus is just sitting on a throne with angels and palm branches being fed grapes for all of eternity, i got to straighten you out a little bit here because Jesus is actually, his posture right now is that he is pleading our case to God. That's how much he loves you. So not only is Jesus never caught off guard by what I'm facing, but he's also praying for me. Jesus has a vested interest in me. He doesn't want to see you fail. He doesn't want to see you crumble. He doesn't want you to see you. He doesn't want to see you go down. Whatever it is that you might be facing, Jesus is there. He's got a plan. In fact, look at verses 32 through 34. I'm going to wrap this up. And he looks to Peter. He says, and when you've turned back, Peter, Simon, strengthen your brothers. He replied, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny Three times that you even know me. Now, could we flip these verses just a little bit? Because here's what Jesus knows, okay? Jesus knows that before the rooster crows, Peter's going to deny him three times. So, Jesus knows that Peter is going to blow it. And yet, with this knowledge in mind, he looks to Peter. He doesn't look to John, whom he was the closest to. He doesn't look to any other personality, and boy, did he have some personalities in there. But he looks to Peter, who is going to fail him miserably in just a little bit. And he says, in spite of all your adequacies, your inadequacies... I still got a plan for you, Peter. And even with your inadequacies, <laughs> Jesus still has a plan for you. Unbelievable. I like to surround myself with people that I can count on. How about you? Jesus surrounded himself with some people that were going to make some big mistakes. And they often did it, especially this guy, Peter. And, and, he, and he says, 
Peter, I know you're going to fail. <laughs> You've done it before, you're going to do it again. I'm so glad Jesus chose Peter, by the way. Aren't you? Because he was far from perfect. But Jesus still knew that Peter was the one that he called the rock. Rocky. Peter, he knew that Peter was going to be the one that would, after, after he had his weak moment, he was going to strengthen the other disciples. Jesus knew that Peter was not perfect, but he could still use him. You know, I'm looking around this room, and there are a lot of imperfect people, just like the guy preaching. We've made our share of mistakes. We've blown it. We're going to do it again. Your mistake, you ready? Your mistake does not disqualify you from God's plan for your life. Your inadequacies, uh, and maybe your inadequacy is that you cannot pronounce the word inadequacy like me. But your bad thing, <laughs> you, you might think that that has kept you from ever being used by God. And I will tell you it hasn't. God's got a plan for you. And you cannot disqualify yourself... You are just not that powerful. You're not. Your mistake is not. You are not. Jesus can do whatever he wants to do. And he could take a hot mess like me, and he can take a hot mess like you, and he could do some great things. So, we're going to come to a time of communion our friends can prepare themselves we're going to serve you this time in a way that we haven't done for three years we're actually going to pass the trays today how about that I'm going to ask Jonathan if he could help me here in the front now how do you respond to something like this do we just kind of take the emblems and go and I don't think that's the appropriate response. Here's, here's what I'd like. Uh, the next slide is the one I want to keep up on the screen for the rest of our service. And that's this. Maybe today you need salvation. Your prayer might be, Lord, forgive me. So maybe that's your prayer. As we hand out the elements in, in just 30 seconds, maybe your prayer needs to be, Lord, would you forgive me today? Or maybe this whole thing about becoming a servant, God's really dealing with you on that. And so maybe your prayer is not necessarily, Lord, forgive me, but maybe it's, Lord, lead me. Or maybe you're going through some stuff. You're going through some difficulty. And just as Jesus was not caught off guard by what was going to happen to Peter and the disciples, 
He's not caught off guard by you. And so maybe your prayer today with what you're facing is simply this. Jesus, help me. So as, as we, and why don't we go ahead and pass the elements as Jonathan ministers in music. As we do that, can you utter some prayers to the Lord and just say, Lord, forgive me. Lord, lead me. Lord, help me.